Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you today from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to once again welcome licensed clinical psychologist and healer, Dr. Andrew Hahn, to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Andy will be speaking to us from Waltham, Massachusetts. And by the way, Andy, are you guys buried under snow over there? Uh, we're no longer buried. We were buried, but, um, you know, you have to know how to uh, unbury yourself. <laughs> in more ways than one, which we'll be talking about in this interview, to be sure. Right. Andy, Andy's remarkable life's work and personal commitment is to help end a person's suffering and indeed to end all suffering through what he calls life-centered therapy. He is the founder of the Life-Centered Therapy Training Institute, through which he has trained people throughout the United States and internationally. And he is now the co-author of an incredible new book titled The One-Hour Miracle, a five-step process to guide your self-healing. The One-Hour Miracle is filled with testimonials of real-life people who have benefited from Andy's new approach to healing when other attempts to end their suffering have failed. I'm looking forward to talking with Andy about his new healing framework that is a blueprint for transforming most problems, be they physical, such as chronic pain, asthma, and addictions, emotional and mental, such as depression, PTSD, OCD, and paranoia, relational, which involves the release of destructive patterns, and spiritual, such as alienation, despair, and inertia and sometimes profound transformation from these complex problems can take place in only one hour. That is what I call a true miracle. Hey, Andy, a warm, heartfelt welcome back to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you so much, Irene. It is such a joy. And you are so colorful that like you're just brightening up the whole day. Thank you. And can I can I just ask you before we begin, can we, we get a little more light shining on you? You're a little dark there. Okay. Hold on, everyone. Andy's going to light himself up. Did that help? Yes, that helped. Okay, great. Okay. So let's ask for your first question. What originally inspired you to marry your traditional education in psychology with the powerful, energetic, and spiritual world of healing? The short answer to this question is um, I'd had a number of experiences even before I got my doctorate in clinical psychology. And about four years after, um, I was going to visit a friend who uh, had, she had left her Western life. She was the head of all NGOs at the UN and she left and went on spiritual retreat. 
and um, went to a place called the Self-Realization Fellowship in California. And I knew I had to visit her. And the day before I went out and visited her, she fell down and hurt herself very badly. So um, when I got there, her ankle was terribly swollen and discolored and she was in pretty extreme pain. But she wanted to take me to the fellowship anyway, so she did. And after we did this extraordinary heart opening chanting service for about an hour and a half, we were walking around the holy grounds of the fellowship and we got to these, the holy grounds of the fellowship, which is in Encinitas, California, really is kind of like heaven on earth. If you've never been there, I highly recommend it. It is really a very profoundly powerful and beautiful place. So anyway, we're walking around and we get to these two benches and she says, you're gonna to have to carry me out of here because I can't walk another step. She'd been leaning on me, but she said, the pain is just so bad that you're gonna to have to carry me out. So I helped her onto one of the benches and then I walked all the way around. I sort of circumambulated the whole thing so that she could put her leg on my leg and I was just gonna like, you know, have her, you know, lift up her leg. Um, before I tried to carry her out of there. And as soon as I sat down, I was flooded with the best I can describe it as light. But I knew it wasn't the sun because I knew where the sun was and it was brighter and it was more vibrant than the sun. And um, I could just feel it entering me and going out my hands. And I said to my friend, I said, Roshan, you know, I, I asked her to put her leg on my knee and I just started experiencing the light channeling through my hands to her ankle for about 10 seconds at which point she says you know i can read auras don't you and i say roshan i'm a nice jewish boy from boston what do i know from auras and she said are you aware that there is pure light that's going through the crown of your head into the center of your chest and out your hands to my ankle and did you see where you sat down? She said, people don't sit there. And it was, I mean, I wouldn't have sat there either, except I wanted her to be able to lift up her leg. She said, this is called the seat of the healer. No one sits there. And you were supposed to sit there. And she's telling me this. And um, then we look down and all the swelling's gone. All the, she was, her ankle was purpley discolored. Um, all the purple was gone and she got up and she started to walk out with no pain. Wow. At which point I said, we're not in Kansas anymore. And um, that led me into two years. I didn't know that at the time of studying everything I could about mystical healing traditions and uh, deep psycho spiritual traditions and mystery trainings and uh past life regression, which is, you know, what I did at the time, I do just something different now, and everything you can imagine. And um, so that's sort of what got me to start putting the paths together. Um, and that was 30 years ago. And they've been, and at one point, I said, I was, in, I was in a pretty traditional, I was the training director and a professor. And I said, I have to like, I can't live these two lives. They can't be separate. They're really one. You can't, I can't, I couldn't keep them sort of like as compartmentalized experiences. So I just said, I have to go and do my own thing and find my own way. And that was kind of and, the scary and process. And thank God, look what's come out of this. I mean, like you're such an effective, wonderful healer on so many levels. And you also have a past life story that came to you at Machu Picchu, right? And how long ago was that? And that, and, and, and that has to do with how, how on a soul level, we consciously create circumstances 
that echo events from the past so that we can heal and grow. So is all of this what's referred to as healing karma, Andy? It's, I think, basically what we're always doing is healing karma. And karma, karma is the energetic imprints that are left over from past lives? Uh, yes. And if you want to look at it this way, it's also from this life too. But, you know, because when you're three years old, you could say it's almost like a past life on one level. But what we typically call past lives is karma, whether it's other lifetimes like reincarnation or like on your bloodline, because soul, soul comes through energy. It also comes through the mystical blood. So um, you could have something that's karmic that you're holding for your whole bloodline, for example. But yes, that's what we call healing karma. And healing karma, from my point of view, is just mastering what couldn't have been mastered. Um, and when you can master everything, you've healed all your karma, at which point you can just say yes to all of life. And then there's no such thing as uh, identity anymore because you don't identify with anything except for life itself, the evolution of life. Right. So, you don't have any you stories know. to identify with. You don't have suffering to identify with. So what is this past life story that came to you at Machu Picchu? Oh, I'll tell you. Um, and how long ago was this, Andy? This was, I can tell you, it was 2004, 2005. So right now it's 2022. So it's about 17, 18 years ago. And I was going with the same woman. The same woman was leading this trip. We, we, we formed a group and we asked her to lead the trip. Same woman named Roshan. And um, Roshan was interesting because Roshan, when she first went to Machu Picchu, there are senior, there are senior guides there. Yeah. And uh, she had never been there in this lifetime. And when she went there, she started telling them all of what happened there, things they didn't know. So Roshan is really, she, Roshan, I didn't know at the time, is an Indian mystic. I just, she was just a dear friend. Anyway, so we get there and um, we are, if you've been to Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu is like an animal and in the center of it is a cave that looks like a heart. And it's really the beating heart of that animal that is Machu Picchu. And when we go in there, we were with a shaman. We were with this really extraordinary shaman. He's doing this ritual. Um, and uh, then what happens while I'm there is I feel someone put their hand on my shoulder, like, like I can feel their hand. And I thought it was the guy next to me who was one of our students who was wonderful and kind of a practical joker. And I was going to like say, really? I won't say his name, but <laughs> I, opened eyes, I opened my eyes and he was clearly not doing it. And then I closed my eyes again and I see this woman like unbelievably vividly. And she's wearing, she's clearly, what I knew about her was that she was some kind of priestess princess. I didn't know more, but she was very, very vivid to me. And she had her hand on my shoulder like she was supporting me in some way. Um, this is actually very moving. I haven't told this story for a while. Um, and I know she has some great relevance to me. And then my body starts to rock. It, uh, involuntarily, I start to rock. And my eyes are closed. And suddenly, I know I'm riding a horse, which made zero sense to me because I didn't think they had horses there. So I said, it should be a donkey or something. I mean, I don't know, but that was, I didn't think they had horses. Well, and suddenly, and, I, and this is funny, because if you've seen me ride a horse in this lifetime, you would, I have, and it's, it's you know, I didn't fall off, but you know. <laughs> Andy, um, I can relate to that very well. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm like going at this amazing speed and, and suddenly I realized what happened. There were, I, 
had called somehow all of these men together. This is what I realized. I called all these men together and they'd come up Machu Picchu in these Kachina outfits that were the warrior outfits. I didn't know the backstory yet, but I knew that, that I was, and there was this mass gathering. And then I'm leading them and there, there's this whole phalanx of men. And we go someplace and I, then I stop rocking. I realized the horses stopped and I've stopped. And I realized what we're doing is we're surrounding an enclave. And suddenly I realized it's the Spanish. I don't know this history at all, but I knew it was the Spanish. And um, I'm going to, you know, share my story from my heart. So um, we are winning. I mean, like, I don't know the history at all, but I know that we've, we've surrounded them and nothing can go in and out. And we're, we're slowly starving them to death because even though they have weapons, we are so outnumber them that they can't leave where they are. Except that the men start coming to me and saying, we can't stay here because our wives and children are back there and they need us. So they start going, I don't say they have to stay. And then when, when enough of them leave, the Spanish attack us. Um, and they capture me and they bring me into this enclave. I'm very aware of that. And then they really, in an awful way, torture me and they kill me. That's what I'm aware of when I'm doing this thing, okay? The next day, Roshan and I walk into Machu Picchu together. And I mean, this story is, there's so many different elements to the story, but she said, you know, I had said to her, we should walk in together. She said, today's the day. We walk in there together. And if, if you know Machu Picchu, you come, if you walk in, you come to a place where you can either go up or you can go down. And I thought we were gonna go down because I had the sense that there had been virgins there who had been sacrificed. And it was, that was once done as a profound spiritual practice because it was done in order to keep consciousness while you would die. So you could go to the afterlife and come back without ever losing consciousness. And at one point it was a profoundly spiritual practice that was because even though the body died, they, but I thought it had been torqued by then. So I thought there was horrific sort of kind of patriarchal healing because it turns out because of the Spanish mainly. So I thought we're going down, but I stopped and I don't want to make Roshan go up because Roshan is quite ill, but she says, I can't go down. She said, we have to go up the top of this hill, don't we? And I said, yeah, we do. We got to the top of this hill and she's in front of me. And when she turns around, she starts to shape shift into the woman that I saw putting her hand on my shoulder. Oh my gosh. Yes, her whole body changed and suddenly she was this priestess goddess person. I knew what she was. I didn't know who she was yet, but I knew what she was, which was some kind of goddess. She wasn't from here and she was clearly a priestess and she was, I can, I'm not going to, but I could see her vividly, like more vividly than I'm seeing you. And she says to me at that point, you know about our past life here. She said, I've never talked with you about our past lives, but we had a past life here. Are you aware of it? And I said, well, I know who I am and I'm beginning to get a sense of who you are, but I don't know what the story is yet. She said, I'm gonna tell you the story because I'm having a sense that I should do that. And she says, um, I came from a different dimension altogether. I was a, a kind of from what they call goddesses here, but I wasn't a goddess. I was just from another world and our vibration was just vibrating higher. We came here to, to help um, because the place needed a lot of help, particularly 
they knew what was going on here, which is how she knew everything about Machu Picchu. She had lived there uh, as this priestess goddess. And she said, we had taken a vow of celibacy because if you were not celibacy, sexuality would bring you more into the world of the material, more in the world of mater or mother, right? But she said, there was another group there, which was the warrior chiefs. And I fell in love with the head of that group and he fell in love with me. And so we were sexual and I got pregnant, which I could hide, but I couldn't not give birth to the baby. I had a sense that I had broken a covenant, but I was supposed to give birth. And you were the child of that union. Wow. And I said, I really got that. And then she started to say, but I couldn't, I mean, I could tell you, but it would take a long time. I, I was there watching you as a mother, but I couldn't own my maternity. And so I was left with my father. I didn't know who my mother was. All of a sudden beginning to get. And um, I, my father and I, I would ask my father what happened to my mother. And he would like be warm, but he would not tell me the story, basically. And I got very angry. And so I'm his son. I'm, I'm going to be the next chief. And I rebel. And I, I wait to rebel until I'm old enough that he can't do much of anything about it because I have now taken over power. And what I do is I get into collusion with the Spanish and I convert to Christianity. And I, there are three um, altars up at the top of Machu Picchu. And the story that is told is one of them was for the sacred women, one was for the sacred men, and one of them was for all of the people who were there supporting that. So there were the three altars. Well, I start doing these Christian rituals on the one that people think is the altar for the common people. And it was, but I turned it into something entirely different. Well, a long story short is I'm doing these rituals and I begin to realize which is a long story, but I can real that the Spanish were using me. They didn't, weren't interested in spirituality or religion or anything. They just sort of wanted to make me the center of the periphery so that, that they could really take advantage. And um, so at that's, that's when I pick up the story and I'm now calling all these people up because I'm saying we have to, I've totally, you know, not protected you and now it's my my life work is you know to honor my traditions and to go and to make sure the spanish don't destroy us and then we know what happens okay um so i go and tell our leader this story and um he turns white this guy says, I'm going to tell you a story. First of all, I'm going to tell you who you are. And your name was Tupac Amaru. And you are describing exactly what is known of his history. He was called the Lost Inca, even though there was a later Tupac Amaru, six generations later, but he was of a whole different world in a sense. So Tupac Amaru, the one you're describing, was called the Lost Inca. And no one exactly knew what happened to him, but you're telling me. But I'm going to tell you how I know the story is true. He said, five years ago, I took a group of cardinals and bishops up to Machu Picchu, and they were people who had a very mystical tradition. They were mystical Christians. And we get up there, and one of the uh, cardinals says, you're telling us what these altars are, but I want you to know that on the one 
that I was describing to you, he said Christian rituals, mystical Christian rituals were taking place on this altar. Now, of course, that story is anathema because if you were gonna say Christian rituals were happening on Machu Picchu, um, you know, it's sacrilege, you know, for the, the whole Aboriginal native people, but nonetheless, I know it was true. So I tell him, and he says, I'm gonna tell you the story. He said, I'm gonna write a book about this, but I've been scared to because I'm afraid that if I actually write this book, I'll get killed. Um, and I don't know if he actually wrote the book. I've never checked, um, which I would probably do. But anyway, so uh, he told me that story. And to tell you on all kinds of levels what that story means to me about my family and about what a mother is and what a father is and like my rebellion against my father and my longing for my mother to be a certain way, even though, you know, I thought she would protect me, but I was looking for some kind of... Uh, um, home with a mother that I felt like even though my mother was there was never there and I had all this healing and then to say that I had to go off into this tradition that you know to wed these two tra traditions together and to say that there is a mystical tradition that um, I have to follow and after it was I part of you it was really part of your past life experience you weren't even aware of it yet well, that's why we have our past life experiences so that, and we always play out echoes of them. I mean, you could say that's exactly how this has evolved and, and it's gone its funny roots because um, sometimes I would sort of go off the path, but I think I'm back on it now, I hope. So. Well, I would think with uh, your one hour miracle, you certainly are forging a, a path that extends from that. So that's an amazing story, Andy. Um, and I, I too have to say in my lifetime in healing that I've done, I've had to reference back to some past lives that I've had and all there. It's really amazing, very insightful. So let's talk about um, how does mastering those difficult experiences that we have from our past lives, not only serve our own evolution. I mean, it's, we're talking about how they're, how your experience contributed to who you are today, but not only serve our own and evolution, but the evolution of those around us and the evolution of life itself. You talk about that in your book. Yeah, I can tell you about that. The first thing you'd have to open to the possibility of is that life is a living being just like we are. And it's an evolving being. And for our point of view, it's like, the mystical concept is that we are cells in the body of life, just like we have 3 trillion cells in our bodies and each of them is on the surface different, but each underneath has to be the same because you could take one cell and if you knew what you were doing, you could clone a whole other being. All the information is there. It's called Dolly the sheep, right? So, and the idea here is that we're the same thing. And evolution for us is moving from being identified with the surface to being identified with the template where all life force is the exact same thing. And none of it is matter. None of it is identity because it's an evolving, it's an evolving like vibration. And our work, you could say, is to move from being dense energy, right? To being identified with the surface, at which point, of course, becoming who we are becomes a problem because we cease to exist, to moving from that to a life-centric point of view, not an ego-centric point of view, but to say our, our journey is to help life evolve because the one thing life can't have is experiences. 
it can't have relationship. So life is, it's a funny concept to say that life is infinite and limited. And life, you describe life, we have words for it, right? It's called omniscient, it knows everything and omnipotent, it can do anything, but there's no such word as all loving, even though this is an act of love, because as they say, you know, in Matthew, uh, in order for there to be love, when there's two or more, there is love. So if you want to love, you have to be able to love something else. But of course, that something else has to forget who it is, because then you'd just be loving yourself, right? So you have to remember who you truly are, so that when I'm loving you, I'm loving someone who is different and the same. And this is the meaning, of course, of like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, because you are your neighbor and you are everything. And I am you and I'm the couch and I'm Hitler and I'm, you know, antibiotics and viral and viruses and everything. I'm just like, I, that's who we all are. And what we're trying to do from my point of view, evolution is coming to the place of saying, I am everything and therefore I have no judgmentalism or comparison or need to understand anything because I'll just be with what is. And that's our evolution. And then we help life evolves because we could do something that life couldn't do because life was unitive. So I can, life grows in a sense through new relationship. But in order to have a new relationship, you have to not be stuck in the past, so to speak. How do you not be stuck in, when, when you get stuck? You only get stuck when there's something that can't be handled or taken in stride and integrated. And then you move from being who you truly are, which in this dimension is, the speed of light squared, E squared, your energy, right? Which mm -hmm. is just a vibration. You move from being a wave to being dense energy or a particle. And then you identify with the particle. And then of course, if you're the particle, you can be destroyed and no longer exists, right? So um, that's exactly what happens with us. Whenever there's something that can't be handled in that mo moment, a dense energy is born and you're gonna call it sick to stomach or heart beating fast or pain in the neck or whatever it is. So you could say our trauma is to us as we are to life. And our work is to get to a place where we can allow and accept everything, become aware, allow, accept, and just bring our attention to everything and just say yes, with no attachment. We could have our preferences, but no attachment. And we're doing the same thing individually. So whenever there's something we can't handle in that moment, a sensation is born. And it's not our sensation. It's a living being, just like we are. We're born in a moment. It was born mm -hmm. in a moment, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, if you come to see me for therapy, I'm not working with Irene. I'm working with, if, if Irene's having anxiety, and I said, hey, when you're having anxiety, Irene, what's happening in the body? And you say, my heart's pounding. I'd say, Irene, you're not anxious. Your little toe is fine, right? Little toe is fine. But someone whose name is heart pounding has anxiety and your job like an actress is to choose to become heart pounding from the inside out like your name is heart pounding and as soon as you do that you no longer identify unconsciously with heart pounding you become the one who is choosing to be heart pounding and bearing witness and holding heart pounding and as soon as you do that, you're free. And if I want to give your audience one thing they could do. Please do. It's whenever there's something that you are suffering about. Suffering means you have judgment, you have anxiety, you have comparison. You know, you, you say, I need to understand this. Whenever there's something like that, there will be a body sensation. 
And if you can choose to become that body sensation and just say nothing other than I am heart pounding. And I say, heart pounding, what have you come to share with me? Worlds will open. It's the most powerful, simple practice there is. And every time you have some discomfort in the body, it's a being who's come to share a story. So before you take a, you know, a pain pill for your chronic back pain or your headache, you might want to say, back pain, what have you come to share with me? And you become back pain. And because we can become each other, because in the template, I am back pain, just like I am Irene. And as soon as you do that, back pain will share its story. And I want you to notice there's no regression, right? Because back pain is here right now, even if back pain was going to tell me her name was Marie Antoinette or some other <laughs> royal in you know, revolutionary France, she's here right now. So there's no such thing as regression. And because there's no such thing as regression, you don't have to do anything more to prepare anybody by saying, you know, we have to resource you because the only resource you need, if you have any witness function whatsoever, is become that sensation that's here right now. And you could say, it's a good, I'm going to tell you a story from revolutionary France, or I'm going to tell you a story from 15 lifetimes from now, and somebody's coming back to give me a warning, or some little green woman from Alpha Centauri is putting a rod in my head. You know, it's like, and they'll share who they are and why they've come, and what, and their story will be your healing. That's amazing. So, well, you know what? You've got a great story of a woman who killed her chronic depression, anxiety about death, anxiety about speaking in front of crowds, chronic neck pain. An alienation from God in one session, which is what you're talking about now. You want to tell us that story? Sure. Because that's a great way. It's a great graphic way for people to understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I can tell you the story. I can do it in a quick way. Um, this woman. Um, amazing story. You talk it, about it, in the book. It's it was an amazing story. It was a, it was a, and it was a fortunate story, too, because I did this the first time I went to. There's a behavioral health conference called NICABM. And a lot of your readers, your listeners might know of this. And I was there doing a breakout session and then I was doing a demonstration of this work. So this woman came up and the first thing she says is, I've been in this major depression for years and nothing has touched it. She had tried cognitive behavioral therapy. She had tried behavioral medicine and energy therapy. She had tried psychodynamic therapy. She had tried medication. She had tried everything you can imagine and nothing was touching it. And here's how she described her depression. She said, I feel weighed down. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. I can't move. All right. So I use a process of determining what's going on called kinesiology. And I asked if that was the most important thing to work on. And it said, no. So then she starts to literally hyperventilate in front of 125 people in an amphitheater. And she says, well, it must be, you know, my chronic fear of crowds because I know it's crazy, but I know these people are going to really hurt me and kill me. And I know it's, everyone's told me this is like, you know, irrational, but I still believe it anyway. So I find out, I determine, is that it? And it says, no, that's not it either. So then she says, well, I don't think I know what it is. And I found out that was true. And I have a, we have this like framework and within it are these sort of mythic stories that are these universal stories that happen over and over and over again. And it turned out her story was what we call a death wish. And a death wish can be one of two things. It either means something so terrible happened that you wanted to be dead, or you had such a terrible death that you couldn't handle the death, at which point you dissociate. And then the part of you that leaves the body, I know this is a funny concept, knows you've died, but never experienced dying. So it's experiencing, I want to die, which for it means I want to experience dying, okay? So that turned out to be her situation. So I said, when you really allow 
this part that's experiencing, I want to die. What happens in the body? Now she's a very kinesthetic and she starts violent. a fine kinesthetic for those who are listening to us who don't know what kinesthetic is. Sure, there are three perceptual modes, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. So you hear, you see, and you sense, you feel. And so kinesthetic uh, is the sensing. The sense, she, she was someone who clearly like, she wasn't seeing pictures, which be visual. She wasn't hearing the story like she was reading a novel. She started to live out the story. She literally started to live it out in her body by choice because she became neck pain and suddenly she's violently wrenching her neck violently, like, like violently. And she had a story about chronic neck pain that was a whiplash, but now we know why she has whiplash because that was a way of trying to remember what had happened 250 years earlier. So you could say accidents are not necessarily accidents. It's when we realize that they are not accidents at all, but there's something we unconsciously in our soul co-create in order to remember this stuff or something crystallized. So she's wrenching her neck this way violently, which you can see if you're watching this on YouTube. And suddenly she says, oh my God, there's a guillotine. She's kind of screaming at this point. She says, there's a guillotine coming down on me. And they've put her face up with nothing covering her face. So she's watching this thing coming down on her, right? Decapitator. They're going to decapitate her, but not from the back, from the front. So she's watching it, uh. right? And she and she's weighed down. Her, here's her depression. She's weighed down. She's helpless. She's hopeless. She can't move. She's in front of a whole crowd of people who are screaming things at her. And she's screaming out. She screams out. You can hear this because we have, well, it's, it's the 1999 or something. So the audio tape is actually, if you have a tape recorder, you can actually play it. But, you know, we have to. Do. Anyway, so um, so she's screaming that these people, she said, I'm never going to be in front of a crowd of people again, right? And we know why she has chronic neck pain because she, the only thing she can move is her neck and she's violently wrenching her neck, right? And she's screaming at God saying, I'm a good, I was a good Catholic. I was a good Christian. And, you know, why have you forsaken me? And I'm never going to believe in you again. Okay. Four problems, right? Chronic neck pain, major depression, anxiety about being in front of crowds, and alienation from God. And if, I mean, it's kind of understandable considering what she endured. Right. But who would think, you know, when someone like that comes to therapy and, you know, if God forbid, you know, the man that she loved was there and he looked at, she looked at him and knew she had betrayed him, then she'd have betrayal in relationships. I mean, it's amazing when it happens. Like those are the stories that look like miracles. So she's screaming, right? And then in this tone of voice, she says, I must have died. So you know what her problem is? She didn't know she had died because it was so emotionally and physically and the anticipation of the pain was so great. She said, I got to get the heck out of here. So part of her left. And that's the part that says, I must have died, but it didn't know. So I said, well, now we know what your problem is. You didn't know you had died. So you're still playing out that death and your major depression is trying to help you remember your fear of crowds, your alienation and your chronic neck pain that you all think were, you know, the neck pain is accident, the whiplash. So it's just an echo of what happened there that you unconsciously co-created. Now we're going to solve the problem because this is a lose-lose proposition, right? It wants to die and it thinks that if it can kill you off, it's going to solve its problem but unfortunately that happened in its consciousness 250 years ago so it's not going to help very much right and you're miserable so here's what we're going to do we're going to tell that part to come back right before you die and we're going to do a sort of buddhist practice and the buddhist practice is you're going to fully come back into the body and this time you're going to choose to let yourself fully die and go out through the crown of your head which is a simple buddhist practice you know what she says at that point do you remember 
She says, she says, which head? The one that's rolling down the hill or the one? Oh, the my God. She actually said that. She said, then she says, I know which one. It's not the one rolling down the hill. It's the one that is oh the energetic God. one. That's still there. It's funny. It's on the tape. It's actually. Oh, my God. And she said, I know which one. She, so she goes out through the crown of her head. All right. Um, and she consciously leaves the body behind. She looks up. She says, there's light. And she said, I'm going to light. She didn't even know. She said, I'm going to that light. She lets the light kind of embrace her, you know, envelop her, embraced by the light. And she says, I am the light. And she has this beautific smile on her face. And she says, I'm done. That took about 30 minutes. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what happened. This is a great story. She's now done. And people start to ask her questions about what it was like for her. We're in an amphitheater. And so she's sort of like, it's a half moon. And so somebody's asking her a question on the right and she turns her head all the way this way. And somebody does it on the left. She turns it. And then she says, this is not possible. She said, I can't move my neck like that. And if I could, I would be in excruciating pain, but I'm not feeling any pain. And then she says, after a little while longer, she says, this is also impossible because I'm having the best time with you guys and I should be thinking you want to kill me, but I don't think that anymore, right? And she says, I feel, I don't feel weighed down and helpless and hopeless and I feel lighter and I can even feel the presence of the divine. And I keep coming to these conferences hoping I'll find the presence of the divine. Everybody else does it. I can't do it. So, and she's done. And I know it held because, you know, usually I see people in an ongoing way. She comes back to the conference the next year and basically said, you know, pretty much all of that hell, which really is a miraculous story. It yeah. is miraculous. It's amazing. So yeah. a lot of times when we have physical things that we're going to all these doctors and people for, it's really could be from past life trauma that needs to be healed. And it's manifesting in our bodies to tell us to pay attention to it. I think if that's why I say, if you can do a good diagnostic, you know, determine, I can find out do you want to do something that started in this lifetime at age three? Do you want to do something that happened in the womb? Do you want to do something that would be what we call a past life, like reincarnation, like that woman? Do you want to do something that happened to your great, great grandfather four generations ago or everybody and it's coming through the blood? Do you want to do something that started in another alternative dimension? All of those are possible. And all you have to do is open to all possibilities. Andy, you do this also online also? Do you do this like via Zoom with people and all too? Sure, they don't, do have, to, they don't have to go through the snow to Waltham, Massachusetts, do they? No, no, I, I can muscle <laughs> test them anywhere because it's the same idea. Like when I say to you, like if you're feeling anxiety and I say, well, well, what's happening in the body? You say, my heart's pounding fast. I say, choose to bring all your attention to heart pounding fast so much that you are heart pounding fast because you and heart pounding fast are the same life force, right? So you can choose to become that like an actor choosing to become a role. Now, you are to life what heart pounding fast is to you. And so if I can touch into the template in the same way that I say, become heart pounding fast, you say, I can do that. Well, I can become Irene, right? Because you're just a dense energy. And in the template, I have access to everything. And theoretically, I mean, I practiced and practiced and practices because I didn't want to do it. I mean, when I could muscle test you in my office, which is what I do. And then I could go outside and do a, I could only do a single blind study, but I would get the same answers, whether I was muscle testing you or just muscle testing you surrogately. I'd say, all right, I can now essentially focus on Irene so much that it's like when I'm muscle testing what looks like myself, I'm really muscle testing Irene, at which point I can do sessions with you no matter where you are. You could be an Alpha Centauri and I could do a session with you because the information doesn't travel. It's all happening simultaneously. That's why, you know, 
you know, you say, how can something affect something that's more than the speed of light away, you know, squared, but there's, we can measure there's an effect. And the answer is because it's all happening right now. And as soon as you know, it's all happening right now, and you can just be with it and not have to, you know, not have to like, you know, uh, have information about it, you make, which makes it information, it'll go back into its pure form, at which point we'll be who we are, which is just vibration infinite vibration so andy does this have so i want to ask you about the death wish pattern but before i ask you about that talk to me about timing because you're saying it's all happening right now um and on the other side when you're dealing with spiritual matters there's really no sense of time is there like we're feeling like everything is happening to us now and there's a be a clock and and all it's that has nothing to do with the, the the healing like when you say everything is happening right now, the past life information, the stuff that's translating to what we're going through now, it's all kind of brought together, right? Of course, because when she put, brought all her attention, that was a death wish. You want to know about a death wish? That was a death wish. That yes, yes. was a death wish. But notice she had the neck pain now, right? right? That woman from quote unquote, the French Revolution is here right now. It's not like I regressed her to the French Revolution. I said, your job is to bear witness to someone who's here now. So I'm not working with, it was like, if I was working with you, I'm not working with Irene. All I'm saying to Irene is don't identify with Irene. You can choose to identify with Irene at one point and the next point you can identify with neck pain, whose name is Sophia, right? And you're just, we're all multiples and you just happen to be the multiple right now who gets to choose, but you're just part of a soul community and you're no more, it's no more about you than it is about them, except for the fact that you're the one who's here right now. You're the one it manifested into. That's it. Exactly. Deal with it. And if you and if you end up and if you can heal your stuff, then then that affects all of all of mankind because you're now no longer whacking everybody else over the head with your backpack full of whatever that was. I'll tell you what's even more amazing about it. Okay, uh, just because this was such a powerful example. This I won't go into the story much, but I was seeing a young man who had real issues around repressed anger. Okay. And it turned out that it was on his mother's side about five generations ago. Something was playing out something. His mother's in the waiting room. His mother is very highly attuned. I do this piece of work with him about his anger, about what happened on her side, which would be four generations back for her. And they're walking out and she said, did you do something on my family tree? Because I feel different now than I did when I came in here and I feel lighter and wow. I have a sense. So literally we are everything. So when you change, everything changes. It impacts everything around you. But though I have to say, though, it may impact everyone around you, but some people may choose not to be impacted. They just, they stay where they are. Other people, other people um, go towards that light. Other people want to. It, it's co-creative and it does affect them. Everything gets affected, but that doesn't mean we're conscious of it, but we're all in it together. So like, um, but we all have to make our choices. It's a, it's a both and neither nor proposition, right? So. Sorry. So Andy, tell me a little bit about, because I know people who I believe have gotten sick because they do have a subconscious death wish. So can you teach us about that? I, as we were talking about with this woman, it can manifest as mental hopelessness, suicidal intentions emotional despair, depression, physical illness. Um, so 
you want to tell people a little more about what a death wish pattern is? A lot of people are walking around with all these symptoms and they don't know they may have this embedded within their subconscious. Well, the first way to know if you have it is if you're really, really willing to be true to yourself and you let yourself experience, I want to die. If even if it makes no rational sense to you, it'll resonate with you someplace. And you'll say, I don't understand this, but it resonates with me someplace. And as soon as you say it, you'll feel something in the body. Just like that woman did when I had her say out loud, I want to die because I did our diagnostic and determined that, that the core for her was not the depression. That was a symptom of this or the fear of crowds, right? It was, I, it was this experience of, I want to experience dying because I never, because I left the body. I was lost soul part or I dissociated. And, um, you know, all I can say, if you don't know how to determine it, which we do, we do through muscle testing is just to say, there's a pattern. And the core of that pattern is what the main core is, I want to die, or I want to let go, which in that case is the same thing as I want to die, right? Um, or there are other elements to that pattern sometime too, which is someone who's supposed to love me wants me dead. And that's about projective identification. If you know that term, if you don't, it means sometimes like our parents, for example, there are things they can't accept in themselves. So they project it onto us. We're a kid. We have to take it in because we want their love. And if they want to kill them, if they want to kill in themselves something that they can't manage, they will put it onto you. And your best way of protecting them and yourself is to say, yeah, it's true. And then of course, you know, that you're living that, that you're, you're manifesting that. So we've already talked about why it is so important for people to heal and evolve. Um, and so tell me, let it like, tell everyone whatever you'd like everyone to know about the one hour miracle, about the book. I know that at the end of the book, you actually have ways that people can help themselves um, to start their healing process. And to help them find the root cause of their suffering. Um, and so just tell us all about it, Andy. Why should they get the book? What, what, what is it going to do? For, and it's a wonderful read and it's very, very enlightening. I have to tell everyone. Um, so what would you like everyone in our audience to know about it? What I'd like them to know is there's a path to freedom. There's a path to evolution. And that the one choice we have about free will is do we want to go kicking and screaming or do we want to go more with a sense of equanimity? And if you want a sense of equanimity, whenever there's something that you're suffering about, trauma and suffering are the same thing because what's a trauma? Something you can't handle. And when you can't handle it, you suffer. If there's no trauma, you might feel pain, but you don't suffer anymore because you're not identified with the pain. They're identified with the one who's there with the pain. So that's the main message. And it's very simple to do. Like it's so simple to describe how to do it, but then it's, I've been doing it for 28 years. I'm still learning stuff, but you know, we had a kid who was 17 and went to a weekend and was with someone like you, right? I mean, a very senior healer. And you know, the person looked at me and said, you're going to send me off with her. And I said, uh-huh, because I muscle tested it. She came back an hour and a half later and said, this is the deepest healing I ever had, you know, because it had never occurred to her that her body sensations were living independent beings. And it had never occurred to her that her trauma could have been what we call a past life. And so she says, this is amazing. You know what the 17-year-old girl says? She says, I can read a protocol. Wow. 
And it's the same thing. So, so anyone you, who buys your book really can really start to try to heal themselves. Yeah. We call the protocol in the book. Right. We, the, our work for our, you know, people who don't want to be practitioners is called still guided self-healing. It's guided by something that is really, you know, life. And self-healing really is, it's the healing of the little self by the big, by the higher self, right? And what is healing just means you're going to remember what was dismembered, right? That's all it is. So healing just says, I'm going to become whole. To remember healing and wholeness are all the same things. And it's easy to do in this in its pure form, which is whenever there's something you can't, you have anxiety about or judgmental or anything, find the body sensation, become it, let it share its story. Any discomfort, go there and say, what have you come to share? And if you did that, if that's all you did, you'd get there. Or you cannot do it, at which point you will just like, you know, uh, wallow. Or, or you cannot do it and say, or you could not do it. You read it, you try it and all that. And you say, I think I need an extra tweak. And then they can contact you. Of course. I mean, I, I like doing it with people. I mean, I, I'd rather do it with anybody. I can do it on my own, but my preference, I'm an extrovert. And my preference is to create a field with, I like being held by somebody else. And of course, you know, you can come to us or any of our practitioners and if you go to life-centered therapy, you'll find all of us and, you know, or you can learn how to do it yourself. I mean, we have no limitation to who can train with us. All you have to do is have an open heart and open mind and a willingness. And if you're called to it, come. Fantastic. Um, so is the best way for people to connect with you and the Life Centered Therapy Institute is just to go online, look it up, Google it, yeah. and there you are, right? If they, want, if they want to get to our institute, it's info, I-N-F-O, at lifecenteredtherapy.com. If they want to get to me, it's ahan at lifecenteredtherapy.com. H-A-H-N, everyone. H-A-H-N, right? If they want to find out about our training, which is on our website, which is Life Centered Therapy, but that is go go dot ready for a miracle dot net backslash free dash training and of course you want to get the book you can really right now i don't know when this is coming out but the book comes out on march 15th and you can pre-order it on amazon and it is called the one hour miracle and i have to say um and this is a lot because of my co-author because i didn't write this book by myself and joni beckett is your Joni's and Joni is an amazing writer, editor, and I mean, she's amazing. And, you know, even though I was the first one who did this work, we really are collaborators and we're really partners. And um, the book reads unbelievably beautifully because she's so good at hierarchy and clarity. Whereas, you know, I'm a soul psychologist. My, you know, I want to be poetic. And she says, like Andy. Well, yeah, each have your gifts and you brought them together to create. Yeah, it's really, it's a sacred marriage. So yeah, it really is. I, I totally get that. So, um, and let it rip, Andy. What is spirit telling you to tell everyone about your important tip for finding joy in life? My tip for finding joy is this. If you... We think our head runs the show. It's not true. It's, we, we have everything top down. It's supposed to be bottom up and inside out. So if you want to know something, put your hand on your gut because your gut knowing is the part that just knows what's true for you, right? It just knows. And you put your hand on your heart, which says like, given whatever I know is true for me, what do I really desire or aspire to? 
And then of course the head helps out and says, now I can help you. Now that I know, I can help figure out how to get there. So the first thing is that. Now, if you know what is true for you and you know what you desire and you start to, you start to open to manifesting it and a discomfort comes, you know something's blocking you. So the, and the law of attraction, you're going to attract what you need to attract in order to heal and grow. So people say, well, I want $5 million or whatever, which is egocentric. Or, but whatever it is, if something's blocking it, then you're going to manifest the block. You're not going to manifest the thing until you get to a place where there's no block. So if you say, I want to, I mean, you have a path, right? I want to be someone who opens the world to life. Now, let's say you said, that's what I want to do. If you said, oh my God, I'm feeling sick to my stomach, you know, something is still keeping you from it. But if nothing's keeping you from it, then you're going to have a good feeling in your body. And what, what I'd say to you is choose to become the good feeling and then it's not just you're imagining something, you're experiencing it literally in the here and now as though it's already happening. And it's not just your mind, it's your whole being. So I'd say always go back to the body. If I'd say one thing to you, I'd say go back to the body. It knows the truth. And when you're stuck, it knows where you're stuck because it'll show you. So basically the bottom line is heal your stuff so that you can free become free to experience the joy everything you're well, free to experience whatever you're to experience because everything becomes the joy that becomes the point you know and you have to be non-attached to what the joy is right i mean look at look at you know the most famous person in history jesus right well what's he doing right before his crucifixion he's saying why have you forsaken me right not joyful what did he say at the end he says i give myself over to you he says, they can do anything to my body. They can kill my body, but like I can, st I'm still alive. So the key is to know that no matter what happens, I mean, you had, you know, you've had your challenges and so have I. And it's like, the question is, do you say, okay, why have you forsaken me? Or, well, I'm going to feel the grief about it because grief is healing. I mean, you know, anyone who says like, you know, get over it, I'd say, get over saying, get over it right? Because grief is healing. But at some point or other, you say, okay, it's, there's something here that's trying to reveal something to all of us. Teach me. I'm not going to be identified with the one who's going to be stuck in, you know, excruciating pain. I, I'll grieve, but that's, that's not the whole story. That's just cleansing so I can be free to open to life. I'd say life will reveal to you if you don't get in the way. It'll tell you what you're supposed to do. And it did. In your case, it told you with a voice. You know, it's like, I don't know this. Really? Dictation. <laughs> right, right. So you, you, but then you, the key is once you open in that way by getting rid of all the blocks, you say, all right. And I made a choice. And it's part of the choice. I went out of my way to heal a lot of things so that I could continue on with what, what was my path. Exactly. So, Andy, mm -hmm. I must say, here is my flowery conclusion to our lovely interview. Uh, all those for sure who read your uplifting and hope-infused book, which it is, and it is still the true miraculous one-hour healing journeys. By the way, everyone, he has so many great uh, examples of how people healed from this one-hour miracle. Um, they will, I, I think they, our listeners will find themselves believing in miracles after they read your book and become inspired to create a miraculous healing journey in their own lives. Mm. One hour miracle, a five-step process to guide your self-healing provides an extraordinary new way 
of understanding suffering that enables people to heal and evolve. And sometimes the true miraculous transformation simply takes just one hour, a miracle. Thank you, Andy, for another important and enlightening interview on Grief and Rebirth podcast. And I thank you from my heart for all you are doing to help people heal and end suffering in this world. Truly, truly important and appreciated. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and especially YouTube. Be sure to subscribe, hit notify, and get these wonderful healing interviews coming your way. And as I like to say, to be continued. Many blessings and bye for now. Mm -hmm.